This is what my new guest would like you to do. Take a cup of tea or coffee, sit down, relax, maybe put on some soft music and listen to our interview. This is the atmosphere that Jan Hendricks would like to set for our conversation. Everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Localization Podcast. This will be episode number 38. Because I spent more than two and a half hours with Jan recording for, for our podcast, I decided to split the interview into two parts. Whenever I ask for feedback about the podcast, the only thing that comes up uh, from the people is that the podcast is too long. And I decided to do something, to try something about this. And Jan will be my first experiment. And I will split our interview into two parts. The first part will be more practical, where we'll talk about Lock Lunch. And the second one, which will be released in two weeks, will be more personal, where you get to know Jan a little bit better. So this is part one of episode 38 with Jan Hinrichs, where we focused mostly on Lock Lunch. How Lock Lunch started, if you're a newbie like me, you'll get to hear the story for the first time. Lock Lunch is run by ambassadors around the world, and you can learn what makes a good ambassador. And if you ever attended Lock Lunch and you see that the ambassador sucks, we'll give you a tip how you can overthrow them and take their place. Is Lock Lunch for introverts? Before I join my first Lock Lunch, this is what I was curious about because even though you may know me from social media and from live streams, whenever I meet a new group of people, I am definitely more on the introverted side until I feel confident and safe to to be fully expressing myself in a very, very extroverted way. And how can you change your life with Lock Lunch? Find out in this episode with Jan Henriks and let's get right into it because I'm talking too much. This is the longest intro ever. So let's get into it. Jan, I would like to welcome you to the localization podcast. Finally. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, Andre. So thanks a lot for having me. It's great pleasure. How are you doing, man? I'm very happy that you put on your red sweater. I'm not sure if it's the same one that you wore <laughs> for the panel for Multilingual. That was actually my request, you know, from, from that panel that you attended for Multilingual. I learned that it's good to put on the clothes that make you stand out against your background. So thank you for that lesson. <laughs> So we will see a lot of panelists in future dressing in red. Or bright, bright colors, bright colors. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that I'm curious about is actually your name. And FYI, the reason why I'm talking to you is because of Javi. And the reason why I was talking to Javi was because of Jeff Beatty. So Jeff Beatty recommended Javi and Javi recommended you. Like, I should talk to Jan Hendricks. But Javi always says, Jan, Jan. And when I, when I see your name... Jan, as you know, probably, is like one of the most common names in Czech Republic. Do you have anything to do with it? Or is it like, where, where are you from? Let's start with that. So, no. No. Uh, I have nothing to do with the Czech Republic. Uh, my background is really Nordish. I'm uh, born in Germany, in Hamburg. 
very close to the North Sea. So influence of Jan was actually my parents saw a ship going by Hamburg port with the name Jan Red. By the way, a red ship called Jan. <laughs> well, I guess this is a story. <laughs> But my name is, you know, my name is Jan. My brother is called Lars. No second name. Very short. So that, that was something that my, my parents really appreciated to be short, straightforward and, and red. Now you live in Spain, right? Now I'm living in Spain in Madrid for the last uh, 15 years. Yeah. Can I ask why you decided to move there? Sun, woman, and uh, good food. Weather, maybe. <laughs> right. The sun, yeah. Oh, when you mentioned sun, you meant like the sun that shines in the planet. I thought you had a sun as your sun. Yeah, the weather conditions, definitely. Because Hamburg is one of the most beautiful places on Earth, I would say, with all my pride of being uh, from there. But, you know... Um, mm, The ratio of sunny days to rainy days is pretty hard. Here in Madrid, it's slightly the opposite. Right. So, uh, and now my wife is from uh, Spain. We met in Germany. Uh, she wanted to go back to Spain. And I said, this is my opportunity. This is my train going southwards. And like in ice age, I'm traveling, you know, southwards. <laughs> so that's cool. That's where we reach Madrid. Is Madrid your wife's hometown or was Barcelona also a consideration? No, no, it, it is Madrid. Her family is from here and uh, Barcelona is lovely, but it's super different. Barcelona is like the sister city of Hamburg. So it's like the same feel of society of, you know, beautifulness and all the surroundings. And why Madrid? Because it's, uh, you know, my wife comes from here. And the second thing is the climate here is super dry. Now we are reaching 40 degrees in, in summertime, but super dry. So no problem at all to, you know, just to hide, do shadow hopping. And you just feel great. Meanwhile, 30 degrees or 35 degrees in Hamburg or Barcelona and you're dying, you know, you're, you're melting away. Now, before we get into localization, I have one thing to ask you. Do you think we should set a safety word for this interview? Mm, I was thinking about that. If you want to have a safety word. Okay, maybe, maybe let's give a background to the people who were not uh, listening to our private discussion that we had before. Uh, explain to me, because you taught me about that. So what are we talking about? Okay, so we were talking about a great podcast in Germany uh, I'm listening to, and it is an endless podcast. So the only way to end that podcast is by saying the magic word the guest of the, the host has to pronounce at the beginning to, to, to fill it in. Yeah, in my case, it would be Ginger, which is the name of my dog, new dog we have at home. Okay. At any moment of the podcast, when the guest pronounces the word, which I won't pronounce because then immediately it shuts down. It's all over. Everything is said. And this, this is the title of the podcast. Everything is said in Germany. Alles gesagt. Now, Jan, how did you get into localization? Uh, by accident. 
Same here, but please explain. <laughs> My brother started this uh, international company called Sing, which is a German uh, social network competitor to LinkedIn in 2003, a few months after LinkedIn started its way. And he was trying to you know, negotiate with, with the LinkedIn team to bring it to Europe and run Europe, European operations. They said no, he said okay. He built up a company which is now stock market uh, listed and October 2003 he started. 2004, um, January, I joined the company to run and he said, yeah, you know, you are in Spain. We need localization. Europe is a different place than the USA. Europe from day number one, you need internationalization to get on scale. You know, it's not enough to be the one and only in Germany because you will have immediately copycats in all other places. And it's really about speed and, and getting foot on, on those markets. So internationalization was important. He said, you are in Spain, you know, that, that's very close to managing languages. So get in touch with the translation agency, run the operation. And build it up, make it done, make it happen, you know, and th this is how I came into this industry. And we started working with the translation agency. We insourced it again. There was no fit. The workflows of the SaaS company were completely different in terms of ongoing translation management. So there was no fit. We insourced it. We ramped it up to 15 languages in two years. Not only my work, but a teamwork of, uh, of different people. But I was always in the loop. In 2006 came, my international career uh, in university was ended and I started with the question, now what? <laughs> and the now what question was, okay, shall I go into a Spanish company to work for a Spanish company as a German? In 2004, that was not like in the 90s, where a German could come here and say, hey, I'm German, you know, hire me. And people might have ended up hiring right. you just because you were German. You know, so 2004 was pretty different. 2000, sorry, 2006. And the alternative was starting a business. At that point, my wife wanted to leave thing at that moment and to start a freelance translator uh, life, you know, to, to work independently and, and so on. And I say, well, do you have a job for me? Maybe. Uh, and you know, and I studied business. So I, I pitched her to say, you know, that's, that's a great idea. You know, you are, yeah, you can make it. And now I have to create a job for me, which is the best way. As we start a company, you know, externalize ourselves and do the same what we have done for Sing, for other ser past services, and build up a company that service, serves these kinds of clients. And that's what we have been doing since 2006. That's so romantic. <laughs> this is the real story of Beluga. Started Beluga just so that your wife can get a job. <laughs> I love it. So um, in this interview, we will mostly talk about Lock Lunch, actually, not, not Beluga. So it's funny because you said that you had this now what moment. Did you also have a now what moment when you first started thinking about Lock Lunch? 
talking about log lunch for me is talking about beluga as well because both are completely related to each other in the in the sense that if it were not for beluga i wouldn't have started log lunch right so log lunch was in january 2019 when i spent a year with my family back in hamburg just to see is the weather still as i knew it uh, 15 years ago and it, it is <laughs> it was but it was still lo- it's a lovely place and we really enjoyed it but i discovered that you know i had no network in the translation industry in hamburg so i knew a few people but you know not a whole bunch of people just just to recap how how far were you with beluga at that time in 2019 how many years was it operating for yeah, to, so since 2006, we started the company, so 2019, 13 years. And you still had no network, no money in Hamburg. Yeah, curiously, because, you know, because our clients are mainly tech companies from the US. Mm-hmm. So we have a few clients in Germany, we have a few clients in uh, London and in Dublin or Ireland. And, but our headquarters in madrid and i live in madrid so we have been working with companies in hamburg you're working always with project managers in our case with software companies so who do i know who's working in the industry really in the industry not only on client side but you know translators other project managers other companies you know, I, I knew a few companies, translation companies in Hamburg, but I had no relation with them because we didn't have touch points. The only touch points we might have had in the past was through Lockworld, like, or, you know, gala conferences where you come together, you meet for a few seconds and, you know, hey, bye. Yeah, you are the SBO. Great. You know, bye bye. You know, that's it. Here's my business card. Yeah, here's my business card. Nice. Let's keep in touch. You know, so this sucks. You know, and I, what I was looking for was get to know people, get to know other people and have a brainstorming, have, you know, common, common understanding of what they understand as our industry, what I have in mind and what eventually we both have in mind or we all have in mind to get to move forward. You know, and so, so I reached out and in a very Spanish attitude, I said, you know, we have to meet at lunchtime, you know, to have a business lunch. And we ended up being four, four people. There was one TMS, uh, Wolfgang Gretz from Phrase, CEO from, from Phrase.com, which is a TMS company based in Hamburg. We had, um, a translator on board. And the CEO from Tolingo, which is a larger Hamburg-based uh, translation company, you know, and and so so Wolfram introduced me to the CEO from Tolingo, and we just sit down and had a wonderful one and a half hours burger lunch, yeah, talking about our industry, you know, and what are the challenges and so on, and that was so great that that was the birth moment of Luck Lunch. Okay, so what was going through your head? Like, I want, I want details. Like, is it like, like, okay, like I had this experience for the very first time, and now I want to see how I can scale this experience, how I can bring this experience to other people, or what were you thinking at the time? Like, did you really think like, 
okay, I'm going to build a community or what, what were your initial thoughts after that? Like you enjoyed it and then what? Oh yeah. No, I sort of uh, copy paste. I am traveling to Berlin next week and I'm doing exactly the same meeting. Okay. Just folks in, in Berlin, you know, and, and I posted it on LinkedIn and that was the moment where took corpus, you know, so, so it was suddenly that people reacted so positively, like, Hey, Jan, this is a pic, you know, a description of what we have talked, how great that was, what the experience was. I published it to social media and LinkedIn and people started saying, yeah, when do you come to Barcelona? Mm. When do you come to Holland? You know, when do you come to Milan? When? Uh, we want to do the same. That really looks nice. And I was saying, gosh, that is a great future. You know, <laughs> I'm just going around eating all my way through the industry. Uh, okay. So second thought, well, maybe not that good, you know, in terms of weight, in terms of family, in terms of business. Right. Uh, so yeah, we needed to find a solution. And the solution was, you know, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. and become an ambassador in your place and doing exactly the same. And maybe I come around one day and visit you. But it's so easy. You know, you just, you just need to let people know that you are there and that people can join without any prejudice about titles, you know, where they work, just open conversation. And it caught fire. So who was the first ambassador? you got so i think that was uh yuka from from barcelona mm-hmm. um we had three like uh, three people but it was and it just Didi actually was one of the first as well mm-hmm. he was in uter he ran uh the silicon slope uh meeting so a meetup you know it was just a meetup and uh, he was there as well, you know, and saying, hey, great idea, you know, that, that's, and let's talk. And we, we started off, you know, just brainstorming a little bit how we can get the structure. And it came like, you know, let's do it like once a month on a 15th or second Thursday or Wednesday or whatever. And the second Thursday was like three days away from the day I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And th- this was the day Yuka told me, you know, yeah, that's great. You know, how do you do it? How should I say, you know what? You need to do this, 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 and this, and just go, you know, just say, hey, I'm down there in the cafeteria and join me. And hey, voila, you have a lot lunch, you know? And, and yeah, I think I was persuasive enough she took my word and we had this Barcelona lock lunch and it was a big one. It was already nine people she could gather. And a few months later, uh, Barcelona lock lunch ramped up some 30 people mm-hmm. in place, eating everybody all from the industry. Great. At the same time, we had like 10, 15 other lock lunches around the world doing the same. Have you over the time thought more about the requirements for an ambassador? So I know the last time when we talked about it, you told me that you were having a 
chat with someone who wants to be an ambassador somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I would assume actually that could be another question, like if you had like a bad experience with some ambassadors. So how did you like shape your requirements for ambassador over the time? Yeah. Do you have something like like an interview? Like, hey, if you want to be an ambassador, you need to show us this, you need to do this, or is it more like volunteer and anyone can do it? Uh, yes and no. It's a it's a good question, and and this is actually you know from almost day two you know uh, of Lockland, it was clear we need some guidelines. What what makes Lockland a Lockland, you know, and and what's what it is not, and what is the requirement for uh, an ambassador, and you know the this is a conversational format, so we knew what we don't want. And Jeff Beatty and uh, Jose Palomares from the US were very clear about that. You know, people with a long standing experience in conferences, you know, they know all the salespeople in the world because everybody has pitched them at a certain moment, their services. So, you know, the, the common understanding was this is not a sales tool. So we're not looking for anybody who just wants to promote themselves to run lock lunch. So we came up with a, a few guidelines for a good ambassador, which is basically, you know, you're representing yourself. You have an in genuine interest in creating networks in building up networks that you believe that a network will benefit all you include the ambassador as well, you know, but it should be levered for everybody and it needs to be inclusive. So the ambassador is the one who needs to run the flag and say, you know, no pitching, no straightaway pitching to set the stage for this conversation that is neutral and that's positive for everybody. So, and I run this interviews, we have a playbook. Uh, we created a playbook with, uh, like all the steps you need to do. It's not a lot, but you know, some guidelines just for people to know what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And then this is a serious question, you know, building networks is, uh, it's an ongoing process. You're not building a network from today to tomorrow. So I pitched all, all candidates that they have to consider if they are really, you know, interesting in building up networks because it, it needs frequency. Mm-hmm. Every month, ideally, you pitch for a new, you, you, you organize a new event every month, month after month after month, and you grow with your network. And today we have some very, very successful Lock Lunch ambassadors who stuck to the frequency who embraced the virtual ones as well and are now organizing monthly sessions of 30 people, great conversations, really insightful, you know, and they, they are really heroes of our industry. So let's talk about the ambassadors. <laughs> we don't have to name them who didn't turn out to be that great. Did you actually have anyone like that where you saw something happen or somebody who attended that event said like, Hey, Jan, I went to this event and this is what happened to me. Is this mm. how you want your lock lunch to be? Because 
the other the all the ambassadors basically represent the, the brand of Lock Lunch, right? Like what you stand for as Lock Lunch, like what it should be. So did you have that experience that somebody did something like really against the the guidelines and you had to cut it like cut them off? Yeah, we had that one. Mm-hmm. We had that that case. And um you know, it's basically they misunderstand the purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And or they try to become ambassadors, but they're, they do not have social reputation. Mm-hmm. So without social reputation, at least, you know, especially when you're like most, most of the people are, so LSP people, this is a interception of, of, you know, we have the translators, we have the LSPs and we have the buyer side and maybe, you know, all the other types of formats we have around them. But I think the most dangerous part is in the LSP part mm-hmm. where people might think, you know, this is, or, or also tool, tool part where people might think, you know, this is a cool way to make business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if people grasp this, your lock lunch will go down. And this is a this is a very basic social behavior system that kicks in. So I don't have any control. You know, I can't be in any lock lunch in all the lock lunches in the world. Right. But if somebody is against the rules, you will see it fades out very soon. Either because people protest and say, "Hey, I, I don't go. This this guy is bad." We had it just once, fortunately. Again, then I try to be a little bit more precise in my pitch. But yeah, but that's it. One of the things that I'm thinking about is if people come there to share their experience, maybe to ask questions and to collaborate, have you ever thought about somehow collecting all this knowledge that gets shared on these lock lunches and maybe like share it with the people who did not have a chance to attend those? Or do you just want to keep it for that group? First of all, in the... There's two phases. We have the offline ones and the online ones. Okay. So offline ones is clear, you know, that nobody is running around with a video camera, you know, and filming everything or, or, or taking recordings. No, not yet. And, and not yet, not yet. Unfortunately, fortunately, because, you know, people should be free to, to just join and have that discussion. And now we go over to, to the online version where you have the possibility to record, where you have the possibility to analyze speech, where you have the possibility to, you know, take notes, publish it, and all the way. So in theory, it's possible. Um, but first of all, it requires a setup, you know, and common rules and tools. Now in Zoom, you can't create these tools on a structured level, you know, for an organization. I couldn't run a, a ecosystem with Zoom analyzing all what happens and structure this in one place. Mm-hmm. If it were possible, it might be interesting to, to take this approach. On the second and mo- most important human resource part, you know, the, the one who's right now taking notes are the ambassadors. So they write a summary 
most of the time, you know, what are the topics we talked about? Mm-hmm. But again, you know, we're not here. This is nothing where anybody makes money from. Mm-hmm. It is a place where you can just push your ideas. You know, when I'm hiring, for example, we had a wonderful discussion now in Canada, Lock Launch, about hiring. You know, and what are the, you know, the experiences? Where are you looking for? What, what are the other part, um, ideas or techniques? to find the right candidate and so on. You know, when we start recording and assessing everybody's participation, then people will shut up, mm-hmm. especially in a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Because the risk, you know, maybe I'm telling something wrong. Right. That's not worth, you know, and that's not the aim of Lockland. The aim is you share, if you like, you join it and take out whatever you like. Take notes yourself. And you have more than ever opportunities to take notes today. So you mentioned that the very first lock lunch before it was lock lunch happened when you had your burger lunch. <laughs> so I'm wondering, is there anything more to the name than just combination of localization and lunch? <laughs> so, so lock burgers. <laughs> that, was, that was, of course, a nice, nice one. Uh, but we very soon discovered, you know, not everybody is a fan of burgers. <laughs> so maybe this is not really localizable. Uh, right. So, of course, you can go for whatever, but then we have a brand issue. So, again, you asked before, you know, what came into my mind when we, when this started to grow? It was when we want this to grow on a global scale, we need a brand and we need consistency consistency in communication this is the one and most important law in marketing be consistent create a brand and create brand value so log lunch okay so this is this is a great easy rememberable name and i trademark it as well i often get the question you know Hey, there's PM, you know, what's this? You know, this is an organization. It's, okay, so what happens in that early days was I tried to register the domain locklunch.com. And it was just like three weeks after my initial post and the domain was taken. Mm-hmm. So there was the locklunch idea was basically not a new one because in LinkedIn there was these Swedish guy uh, who ran an initiative called Lunch In, and it was for all LinkedIn people, you know, just coming together for lunch and running it. So I didn't invent anything else. And I actually thought, you know, this is a cool format. And, but, you know, I'm not so much interested in everybody on LinkedIn, but on people in my industry. So I took the format, the Lunch In, People registered, trademarked their domain. And I thought, hmm, maybe there's a reason for that. <laughs> especially when we try to build up a brand, global brand, then, you know, it, it gets some solid, solid to, to the name because it's not the same to say, you know, I'm lock, lock drinks or lock, lock puncher, lock whatever, blah, 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 blah. This comes and goes. So when you sign up and register something, 
it gets a little bit more solid and it, it has proved to be a very solid brand we're creating that right now. So just to be sure that I got this clear, so locklaunch.com is owned by the... By me. By you. So you got it. No, the lo- sorry, the locklaunchdomain.com is by somebody I don't even could figure out. Oh, you, you couldn't track them down? And maybe... Yeah, this undisclosed. What, what are they running on the website? What is it about? I haven't bothered to follow up on that. You know, because I signed up for locklaunch.net, locklaunch.com, okay, this is the first thing you might think about, but at the end, you're just establishing uh, internet presence and you need to cater it. And so right now, the website we have for locklaunch.net is really, has a very brief introduction in the in the concept itself, some FAQs, resources for ambassadors to use, the forms I ask everybody to run because this is statistical, statistic-based uh, uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah, so I'm very much a data guy. Nice. I like to see, you know, if you gather data, you can analyze data, and then you might see patterns. Mm-hmm. So uh, we started off very early to say, lock your details, you know, how, first of all, your events to see how many events have you run. We have this Excel spreadsheet. This is really, really basic. You know, yeah. it's the most basic thing you can have a Google spreadsheet open to the public for viewing filled in by ambassadors through a form. And you can now filter and see, okay, who are the ambassadors? How many people, how many log launches have we done in Hamburg? How many log launches has been done overall? All the statistics, it's all open. It's all freely accessible. And it is very interesting to see also for ambassadors to see, you know, where, where they stand in this ecosystem. Yeah. I have two follow-up questions I'm trying to pick which one <laughs> decisions you know it's always so difficult to make these decisions um okay i'll start with the ambassador so it's good that you mentioned that like where they stand so what if i'm like uh let's say somebody has already been assigned as an ambassador to vancouver and i'm like mm-hmm. hey this guy sucks at doing it like i could do a better job is there a way for me to kind of like take it away from him or do you value like the existing relationship with the ambassador more and you just trust the people that they will do the best no first so first of all you know i i would ask you if you have attended any of their log lunches so if your answer is yes and it still sucks you know then why mm-hmm. you let me know okay and now is this log lunch again it sucks and it's still running you know i can track down what is the, you know, what is the metrics? Mm-hmm. How many people attend? Is it just him? And then I can go into a conversation with this guy or this lady eventually and say, you know, yeah, what's happening here? You know, what's, what's, what's going on? And um, we start the conversation. On the other side, there might be lock lunches. Right now we have these offline lock lunches and, um, now with COVID, it's all online. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a few com- uh, ambassadors who are reluctant to go online for whatever reason. So that means discontinuity of the community, the local community, which is very bad because I think it's, uh, 
it's a hard investment from, from the ambassadors in terms of time and preparation and so on. And now not going online means at the same time losing this equity. But I can't convince everybody. Now, if there's somebody who says, you know, hey, London, we're not seeing any, any community and I would love to go get in touch with other people. So I'm reaching out to the ambassador and say, hey, you know, what's happening? You don't like it? You, do you accept the co-investor? You know, would it be okay if I get Andre to run the co-ambassadorship for everything is online and, you know, just work as a team? Or maybe he says, you know what, I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so nobody earns nothing here. Right. The only thing you earn is social equity. Right. Right. And then my second question that I thought of was, you mentioned the data and seeing the patterns. So what is one of the patterns that like shocked you or that stood out from all the data that the ambassador submitted and you have this nice view? Yeah, I think the most, most important lesson we have seen in, in data is uh, continuity is the key. Communities grow by frequency. It's not about the number of people you invite. Of course, it's always cool to invite as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And to be an awesome host is also important, but it's way more important to offer this platform frequent. Uh, with frequency. And then you see numbers growing, people, attendees and uh, attendeeship growing, and the overall reach. And especially when I look at the people who have joined, like at the very beginning and have been working on that continuously, this one year, one and a half years on LinkedIn, those people have really strived. Mm-hmm. In terms of visibility, in terms of you know, social relevance in our industry. And, and this is something you, you have two options. Or you work on it yourself, you invest time, or you buy it. And if you buy it from LinkedIn, that's expensive. So, yeah, you can reach thousands of leads. Hey, you know, and LinkedIn will say, great. <laughs> no, we have this fantastic solutions for you. But this is not what social selling is today. This is lead generation in the old fashioned way. You still have to, to make your entry there. And um, what I've seen is, you know, people who have been active as ambassadors understood that social networking and social selling is, is a new norm. And social selling means not that I pitch you my services, but it's understanding what's your situation. Get in touch and have an interest in the other part, empathy to understand what's your situation. And maybe, hey, I can develop something that just fits your needs. Mm -hmm. And that's it. My other question was, so since you branded Lock Lunch, is one of your guidelines that this meeting should always happen during the lunchtime or are you flexible on that? <laughs> so we define lunchtime, everything before five o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. and lock drinks, everything after. Oh, so you have lock drinks now. <laughs> lock drinks, exactly. So lock drinks is not officially branded. It's not trademarked. 
but it's a format, you know, so all this branding stuff is to reach people, to make it easy to access, to access the conversation, you know, to find it in the, on LinkedIn, to, to do all this. What we name it, how we name it, it's absolutely, it's not, it's irrelevant mm-hmm. because it's about the, the, the format itself we're creating. So everything needs a name for us humans to understand. So this one is lock lunch and whatever fits in this format of open conversation, um, frequency, you know, uh, open, uh, inclusive conversation uh, can be a lock lunch and that's, that's it. It's not a lunch. And now eating in front of the camera, we had this discussion with Javi, especially, you know, that not everybody feels so comfortable with eating in front of the camera. Yeah, speaking of food, that's a, that's a good segue. Um, do you like salads? Okay, so you want to hear the backstory of salad, the salad bowl, yeah? <laughs> okay. Yes. So first of all, of course, I, I eat salad. It's, it's not that I'm a huge fan of salad. But, um, you know, in order to be respectful for everybody who, who wants, we needed sort of identity, so visual identity. And Yuka was the one who came up with a salad ball idea from, uh, from a logo type for the banner mm-hmm. we're using to publish it. The, the, the method is we need to have this announcement post recognizable for everybody to understand, oh, this is a lockdown. Oh, cool. Yeah, you know, join it. So Yuka came up with this, uh, the salad ball one and, you know, <laughs> great. You know, you're not hurting anybody. You're not saying, hey, burger, burger lunch, you know, that is uh, maybe not so nice. Well, actually, 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 you might be hurting the meat lover people, you know, like I used to be like a huge meat lover before. Now I'm like getting more into vegetarian and eating tofu. But like salad to me used to be an insult before. <laughs> like, you want me to eat a salad? Like, what am I, a cow? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, okay, so this is like the less uh, Danin word. And I think, you know, if we want to go with the time, meat eating, consumptions, and, uh, you know, uh, cow or lamb or pork or whatever kind of livestock is complicated. It's a, it's a complicated matter. We're too many and we're, we have a huge impact. The industry has a huge impact. And I think especially Gen Z and, uh, you know, the younger generations are much more mm, into like, okay, so this is the only option I have to continue with this devastating industry or, or not. You know, how do we get proteins? And, um, I think, yeah, and, um, yes, you know, so let's take the salad ball. <laughs> I think like, like totally, totally unrelated two things. So first of all, I started reading the book, uh, eat to beat disease, the one that you recommended to me. First of all, I was super scared because it's like so big and the font size is so small. I was like, no. And then I started reading and it's like very medical. I was like expecting just like, you know, like nice images, eat this to cure this, but, but I like it, but I like it, but I like it. And the second thing was somebody was just telling me, I think what my mom was telling me that in Singapore, they 
started selling commercially like the first chicken meat that was created in a lab. I think, I'm not sure if you heard the news. The uh, lab breed meat, mm-hmm. that, is, that is the future. You know? So the ecologic and, and um, the impact of slaughter on cows, on pigs, on, you know, with all the problematic around. So you can be, a, I, I eat meat, you know, it's absolutely, you know, I have no problem with that. But if I would have an alternative, like free meat, you know, free of meat, mm-hmm. not from livestock, no suffering, and I still have a good taste, and it's still, it's just, and if there's an alternative, I switch. Right. So I, I don't like to eat a hamburger, you know, and, and imagine where this meat come from. You know, I think this relation, you know, this relation between what we eat and where it comes from, mm. that is something we have completely lost. And the industry has made us separate us ourselves from, from this industrialized production and you know, the product itself. So you consume milk, you consume meat, and it's all great. You know, you just go to the supermarket and right. hey, it's all nicely, like nicely packaged, all the, but we have no relation. And at the end, you know, you see a happy cow on a milk, but she wasn't happy. Yeah. Maybe it's not so cool to be 10 years in a in a stall you know and having to to feed humans instead of your own kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is basically the milk issue so you know so again i think the the technology again like in our industry to go back to our industry uh, technology opens up uh, new opportunities to change our behaviors behaviors the same for lock lunch and this is maybe the cycle um you know before we went to conferences conferences were attended by a few a couple of people in our industry so the overall people on linkedin it's about six hundred thousand people registered on linkedin who say they work in the translation and localization industry okay six hundred thousand five hundred thousand six hundred there's more or less the estimate of the overall industry size, so including every, everybody. Now, how many people go to the conference, went to the conference? Uh-huh. 16,000, 30 conferences, 16,000 attendees, and most of them went not only to one, but to several. So, so the actual goer uh, are way, way less. Now, this represents a fraction of the whole industry, and the whole industry is not connected. The lucky few who went to the conferences have these access to knowledge, access to, to connections, access to whatever, and they can strive. Meanwhile, 95% of the people are stuck and have no opportunity either by, because of family or personal situation, or labor situation that their bosses don't allow them to go and because of time or budget, you know? And so lock lunch and all the formats which have been created in the last two years 
And I, I would, yes, I feel like that Lachlan has been a, uh, um, a loud voice in this movement to bring uh, democracy to our industry and the sense to access information. You know, because today everybody can talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. And you can talk, you know, yes, the day before I talked on a live lunch with um, Robin, who's a VP of, of Lionbridge uh, Sales in Canada. You know, and and my my and and Carl from Wenger, who's the CEO of, of Wenger Global. You know, where do you meet him? Well, I met him on a lock lunch in London, and we had a great chat. You know, it was free. We had a chat, and otherwise, I would have to go far away on the other side of the world, mm-hmm. five days traveling, thousands of euro in expenses, just to have eventually this opportunity to talk to him. So this is over. How did you, how did you guys start thinking about transitioning lock lunch to online with COVID? Like when you had the first signs of COVID, were there some online meetings happening before or did you only start moving into online because of COVID and the lockdowns? Yeah. There was no no online um, lock lunches before. Again, you know, imagine yourself eating in front of the camera. That was a hard sell. So we, uh, me especially, you know, I always thought like, wow, this is this is such a great opportunity to meet people, and I would love to go on a European tour, you know, just to lock lunch with people. And just, you know, take the car and drive through Europe from Lachlans to Lachlans. And I did this in, uh, from Hamburg when I traveled back to Spain, uh, to settle back. You know, I, I was with my car and I drove through Holland. I meet, I met with the ambassador in Holland. Then I met the ambassador of Paris. Then I, I went to, you know, through, through France. In that moment, we hadn't had any more lock lunch ambassadors there. Or it was, there was Marseille, Marseille, but it was a little bit far, too far away. But again, you know, connecting with people on the way locally, that is such a big, big thing. It, it suddenly feels like, whoa, this is, this is a real change in our life. Mm-hmm. Now, that was very few occasions and a hard sell to my family that I'm, I'm on a road trip through Europe, lot launching for three weeks, maybe, you know, uh, no, no permission. Um, so, so then COVID took, took place, came, it started, we said, you know, safety first, stop lock launching. There's no, no means in continuing meeting when we risk the life of people. Nobody knew anything about, you know, transmission of the, of the disease. And so I called out to, you know, hold on, hold on, let's wait. Now, hold on, took, hold on, hold on, 15 days, 15 days, 15 days. You say, what the heck is going on, you know? And then, you know, it was clear, hey, we, we need to go online. There's Zoom, let's give it a try, you know, just go for it. 
And we started the first log launches. It was like, okay, so hello, you know, how do we do this? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm here, you know, people come from all, all over the world and so on. Now, today, the one from, from Canada the other day was just a blast. It was, I don't know, at a high, what, 32 people or something like that coming from all over the world to join this lock launch, this conversation. And it was just amazing. You know, now today, I think it's, no, sorry, on the 17th of December, we have all these lock lunches in, in, San Diego and in, in many places around the world, they are all virtual. We have already hundreds of log launches celebrated this year online. The communities are so big, so many people, so much interesting discussions, one and a half hours, you know, just fluent, fluent discussion with others. What comes up? Very powerful. So please don't hate me because I haven't attended a single local lunch. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> you missed out, man. You missed out. I know, probably. Yes. But you have the possibility every day you can change your life. <laughs> change your life with lock lunch. <laughs> I think the first person who was inviting me was Sankashwari from Singapore. She's really, she's really into it. She's like a hardcore ambassador. So what I wanted to ask you, you know, like, like. It, Okay, offline versus off online. Like what I imagine lock lunch, long, lock lunch looks like before COVID was that like you have a bigger group. But for example, me, I'm not that comfortable speaking with a huge group. Like I would assume that it like turns into like a smaller groups. You know, especially like if you're eating, you're probably not shouting to 30 people who are eating their lunch. You probably just chat like with few people around you. How does it work in online? Do you have like breakout rooms or something? Can people get into smaller groups or is it just like free for, free for all? So breakout sessions are a possibility, but so far I think nobody has made use of it. Mm -hmm. It is, of course, a completely different discussion because on physical lock lunches, you have your meal, you, have, you concentrate, you, you have a conversation with your neighbors, with the one in front of you. And moving around is a problem, especially when you have 30 people, you know, you won't get to talk to everybody right. and you won't get to know everybody, even though we have usually these introduction rounds so that, you know, but then you have noise, you have environment and so on. So it's, it's a different thing. It's about um, relationship building, real, real life relationship building mm -hmm. online. We have this introductional round, but then it's uh, open conversation and everybody who wants to take part in this conversation can, can write their, their work, you know, write their hand and say, Hey, you know, I think this or that. The ambassador is the one who, who needs to guide the discussion and he's supposedly the, the, yeah, he's the host. His job is to give a voice to everybody and eventually ask somebody you know, to listen to the rest if, if there's too much conversation happening from one mm -hmm. again. But there's a force, I think there's a network force as well. So if, if one is just pitching their ideas, it will harm yourself. Mm -hmm. Because 30 people listening to one yeah. who's not supposed to talk 
all the time mm-hmm. uh, ultimately will hurt your reputation. So for for all the introverts out there, is it okay if I just join and I don't say a single word and I just listen? You will have to say who you are and what you are about, you know, so even if it's just like, you know, hi, I, I'm Andre, I run a podcast uh, on this, and it's great to meet you all, you know, and I'm here to listen and so on, you know, that's fine, perfect, you know, but you still can learn a lot and the most likely thing is you, you get thinking. You get thinking about the stuff that's, that's discussed and maybe not the first time, but the second time, maybe the third time, you're opening up and say, hey, wow, you know, I've, I've thought about you and that is a typical introvert, you know, taking notes and uh, yeah, I know you and analyzing everybody. Let me pull up my file on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have your personality profile here. You are, look, you are my next guest in my podcast, for example. Uh-huh. You know, this is, this is your voice in such a group. It's up to you if you want to, to say, if you want to participate and so on. But when you join a log lunch, you should be, you know, you, you show interest in not being isolated. Okay. So talking about isolation, you did mention a few names, people that were sort of helping you with this. Do you have something like a stable team? Like who who shapes up how Lock Lunch will look like, let's say in 2021? Is it mostly you or do you have like a core group of people that you talk to? I think this is an, an open, we have a Slack, a Slack channel mm-hmm. where we used to put whatever is, you know, of discussion for ambassadors, you know, what, where we can do, what we can do next and and how what kind of formats work and so on whenever i have you know something something i have in mind some crazy ideas about you know the future here and there i usually you know post it there and run it at least you know to have a feedback loop and then you know everybody is free to say yeah i i like that or i don't like that or you know but but yeah we have this tool where we can discuss and some people are more active, uh, others less. I touched on the, the topic of 2021. So if I would ask you about like the future of Lock Lunch, the, the one question that I had for you, like, is there something like a strategy for Lock Lunch? Yeah, world domination. Right. <laughs> we talked about that one. <laughs> uh, you know, so social networks is about uh, size of, of, of network size. The more knots you have, the more value the network creates. So this is true for Facebook, this is true for Instagram, this is true for whatever social network you're looking at. So scale effects, we're talking about scale effects. Now, my main purpose with, uh, with the Lachlan community to, to grow steadily to new places, because the more places we add, the more people granularly will join the overall network and can access other lock lunch ambassadors, other lock lunch groups. So, you know, we just get more people involved in the conversation. And then this is the main goal. 
to have a fluent conversation because the more we talk, you know, the more information can flow about the latest stuff out there, you know, and, and eventually structured content like this podcast, people might discuss what we're talking here. Mm -hmm. And then they say, yeah, but this is all bullshit. You know, has no, no clue, you know, let's do this and that. And there is a platform to do this. I think this is the main purpose. Now, what can come out of a network? Um, Facebook came out of a network, you know, so Facebook, uh, the social network, in my understanding for lock launch is when we add value on scale. So we have a network, we have a, a loose community, a loose community in the sense so we do not have users right now. We have no user accounts. It's all, you know, very loose mm -hmm. people, ambassadors shout out, people join, that's it. And this is a network growth. It's a very strange format. It's a very untypical social network because it basically, it's a loosely, loosely hold together of the network, but it's, it's growing strong. It's, it's very interesting to see that it still continues. It's, it continues to grow and it grows on a higher rate being such a loose, uncoordinated, decentralized, democratized network. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is maybe what, you know, but anyway, this is, this is right now it's me and what we can do from, from here is something we can, you know, uh, explore and I'm more open to, I'm very open to, you know, whoever likes to add something. We're talking with Prozy, we are talking with the big association. Now, what, what kind of impact? we can have as a, as a community in our industry towards a better future. I think, yeah, maybe this is the driver. Yeah. Speaking of social networks, is LinkedIn like the main platform where people share and promote lock lunch or do you also utilize other social networks? Yeah. So LinkedIn is blocked in, in Russia. LinkedIn is blocked in China. Mm -hmm. Japanese are not using LinkedIn very much. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, our ambassadors are taking care of recruiting, of, you know, announcing and reaching out to their, to society, so their, their attendees. So, um, they are open for everybody, uh, to join. I, we, we have sort of, you know, lock it on LinkedIn to have coverage so that, you know, people know that it exists, but as we have this form, so you can run an event on Facebook, especially the, the Russian guys, you know, um, or on, or, or through what, um, not what, uh, WhatsApp, um, uh, the Chinese WhatsApp, you know, uh, to, to run, you know, WeChat, sorry. Uh, mm -hmm. I've, mm -hmm. Mix it up. So WeChat to reach out to your communities. And this is absolutely clear. There's a lot of opportunity to improve outreach and control on our side. When I asked you the question about a strategy during our intro call, you mentioned Africa. 
do you want to maybe dive more into that or is it like a top secret project of yours? World domination includes uh, Africa. It can't be other, otherwise. And uh, Antarctica uh, inclusive, of course, we have to be inclusive. No, so, so what is the, the, the case of Africa is that LinkedIn is a white Caucasian social network. Basically, you know, the, the majority of users are white and white color from personal perspective. Okay, I might be wrong. I might say LinkedIn maybe will be against me tomorrow, but you know, that's, that's my impression from my feet. Right. Okay, so I might listen a bubble, but still, you know, there's no conversation. And when we go to our conferences and our lock lunches, I see it real time that there's Africa's not involved. Southeast Asia is coming to slowly, they're warming up, you know? So what is what does it mean? We have this island. We have this knowledge islands and, you know, uh, community. So we have the Northern community. So everybody who lives in Europe or in the US is connected and has access to our industry knowledge, you know? Now, where is the demand coming in the next five years? I think, and this is what the UN says, you know, when, when you look on statistics of growth, economic statistics, Africa has a young population. Mobile access is so huge. They are mobile first. And there's no reason to think that people in Africa don't want to join the same uh, e-commerce, and the same, you know, global trade and the same opportunities we have in the North. So, you know, why is there no communication? And this is something I want to break up uh, with Lachlan's, you know, just to give a, a, a little bit of sand to enable the same conversa conversation and to get to know people on the ground who are not representatives of big companies or, you know, sort of insiders, but for everybody, you know, and then I think we can really understand what's happening over there. We can create products, we can create services to cater, not only like, you know, North American companies or European companies or Asian companies going to Africa, but African companies going the other way around, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, all these entrepreneurs there, there's so much entrepreneurial understanding of there and drive way more than like gold digger, gold digger, uh, atmosphere in Africa, African youth, you know, they see, wow, internet, you know, we have opportunities and they are on fire to get this and growth, economic growth will show and, and internet coverage, mobile coverage will give them this access. And so I think we need to get prepared. Africa is like in the next five years, there will be huge differences between today and within five years when we tell to 2027, you know, or 2026 or whatever. It will be, I, I, my guess is will be completely integrated. Mm -hmm. So, and then, 
our industry, and this is maybe my question to you, do you think that our industry is ready for Africa? Have you ever interviewed African people on your podcast? No, never. I think, you know, like, like we, how we started the chain, you know, Jeff, Javi, Jan, I think you should propose the next guest for me, which might be from Africa. Yeah, I have a good candidate over there. Yeah, so when, when is the first lock lunge in Africa going to be? Oh, it, it happened already. It already it, happens. There you go. It already happened. You're not, <laughs> I'm not uh, revealing here any. So, yeah, the other day we were in uh, um, Abidjan, which is a capital from um, Cote d'Ivoire, from Ivory Coast. Um, and it was a, a fantastic lock lunge. It was really diving into, you know, a complete different reality. And whoever wants to, you know, understand it, whoever wants to, uh, is bored, you know, of our social problems and, you know, and all these, you know, whatever, yeah, boring white people status, just join the African lock lunches, get into the mindship of the people there. Eventually, you, you know, the conversation goes and, And people start telling you what they do in the localization industry, how they're doing business, how do they train other people, how, you know, and what kind of immense growth potential is over there, how people are empowered to do new stuff. So, yeah, best. You know, if you're bored, just uh, instead of Netflix, Go to a lock lunch in, in Kenya and Maputo and, you know, Mozambique. We will have, uh, Mozambique starting soon. Maputo, uh, Abidjan is, will be there again. And, uh, Kenya, Lagos. I'm, I'm working on, on recruiting for Lagos, which is, you know, just a massive city with a mad, massive, entrepreneurial spirit creating the next stage. And I remember one on a conference in Munich, like very high level, have people there. And there was this girl from Lagos and she, she lived in Washington, I think, you know, and she said, yeah, you know what? I'm back from the future. When I go to Lagos and I come back, I feel like I'm back from the future. So because it's all so much more dynamic, there are so much things happening. We can't even, it's like for us thinking about reality in, in Shanghai or in, in Beijing, you know, in China, in Shenzhen, the, rela- the reality with technology they have and our reality, it's like pure boredom for what we are doing here. It's like, 19th century, you know, internet usage, or 20th century internet usage. For those guys, it's like, oh, how calm is everything here, you know? Wow, okay. Yeah, so, and the same happens in Africa, and I think we know we need to get prepared, and I really enjoy it, you know, it's a lot of time I invest in Locklunch as a founder of, of, of Locklunch, but also I'm running a company, which is Beluga, and here we are again, you know, I'm not doing this just for the good of everybody because I believe that this is something my clients might ask me to provide. So I have to spearhead our 
our way through this. And Lock Launch is just a way to get to know the greatest talent, is to understand the market, is to build up product services around that, you know, and just get connected. This is not only for me, everybody can do the, exactly the same. So I, my call here is join a log lunch. Andre, you have to join a log yeah, lunch. My first one will be the African one. How about that? I will send you the invite <laughs> <laughs> and I will track you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, you will enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Now, before you go, I wanted to take a little bit of time to thank everyone who has joined the localization podcast page or group on LinkedIn. The reason why I'm starting to do this is that a lot of the time I was just creating the content, mostly dealing with my guests, and I've never paid much attention to the community. Whenever you ask me something or we talk about something, uh, I'm really happy about it, but I have never tried to incorporate the community and the people who listen to the podcast in the actual episodes. Sometimes I try to ask people to to ask questions from my guests, but um, I guess people are not there yet, or I don't know why, but I wanted to at least thank everyone who is joining the localization podcast page, who is following the page. So in this first part, I'll take everyone from January. So I will not mention anyone who has followed the podcast since the beginning. Sorry about that. And thank you for following. So I'll start doing it from now on. And starting from January, we have Apurwa Mayumdar. We have Diana Stoika, Melissa Sentazo, Zana Sismin, Ebru Yildrim, Irene Onorino, Ateya El Savi, Simon Para, Lucia Hernandez, Daniela Diamato, familiar name, Esther P, Lorraine Valarino, and Oliver Translator. <laughs> So these are the few people that I wanted to thank in this part one episode. And the other people will be included in part two. So that's all I had to say. Thank you for spending the time with me and Jan in this episode. And I'll talk to you and I'll be back with Jan in two weeks. We'll be back. Bye bye.